Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss this new bug isn't the apple of my eye message. Next up, well that escalated quickly, a dive into the Capital One incident. And finally, grasshoppers and security personnel descend upon Las Vegas. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 22, recorded on August 5th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, pun of your business, LaBelle. With me, co-host Emily, just trying to survive the locust hacker. And last but not least, we have another special guest today on the pod, which is Chad, I hack and Snuggies Anderson. Chad, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Nice Snuggie. Thank you. I wish he was wearing one, but he's not. <laughs> Let's they clarify. didn't need to know. <laughs> I can't lie. We're still waiting for the corporate Snuggies to come through. Yeah, they're in the mail. Yeah. Corporate Snuggie is one of my favorite oxymorons, I think. I mean, you got to be warm in this building. Sometimes it is downright cold. It's women's winter. All year. All year. <laughs> yes, not very seasonal here. Um, so let's let's jump right in here to make sure that we make use of our time today before the big summer camp show, which we're going to talk about later in this episode. But we'll start off with this new bug isn't the apple of my eye message. So Google's Project Zero has unveiled details of a bug in Apple's iMessage that lets attackers read data from an iPhone without any user interaction. The bug is one of four revealed by Project Zero researcher Natalie Silvanovich that Apple patched last week. So, Emily, according to Natalie, there are four total bugs released by Project Zero. Can you provide some insight into these individual CVEs? Sounds like some are more critical than others. Sure. So it looks like there are four um, bugs that were patched by Apple, and um, some of them are pretty severe. So it looks like two of them are actually high severity. Um, one of them can allow attackers to read data from an iPhone without any user interaction, and in addition could also allow um, an attacker to write to out-of-bounds memory. And another one, there's two of them that can actually allow for remote code execution, um, as well as two of them that can allow an attacker to crash the iPhone springboard home screen manager without any user interaction. So in reality, actually none of these require any user interaction. So um, for example, the one that can allow an attacker to read data or um, enable code execution. None of those actually require the user to do anything or click on anything. So that's what makes them so severe. Um, but the good news here is that the patches for these vulnerabilities are available in iOS 12.4. That's good to hear. And it sounds like the researcher themselves did a great job of making sure that these items were patched prior to, to releasing these vulnerabilities and bugs, which is obviously the more integritable way to go about it. For sure. Um, yeah. So thank you for going through and summarizing all of those CVEs. I know that they can be a little mind-boggling to go through and read from all the different sources, so mm -hmm. I appreciate it. And um, So have all the bugs been released or publicized then at this point? No, it does sound like there was actually a fifth one that Apple claims was fully patched, and that one is um, CVE 2019-8641. However, Silvanovich has not released the proof of concept for it yet because she said that the patch from Apple didn't fully remediate the issue. So after the patch came out, she tested it and it seems that she was still able to um, 
do whatever the vulnerability was, which at this point we don't know what it is because she doesn't want to release it until it's fully patched. So um, that one is still apparently available to attackers if they know what it is. Um, and it sounds like it also involves an out-of-bounds read. So we just don't hmm. know the full details on it yet. Okay. So more to come probably on that. Once it's patched, I'm sure that she will release um, more details on it like she did the other four. Cool. Absolutely. And so which which devices, you mentioned the patch that's available for Apple. Um, which devices are actually being impacted by these vulnerabilities? Yeah, I was reading through that and trying to figure it out. There's like quite a few sources that I was going back and forth between. And it seems that for at least one of these vulnerabilities, it only affects devices that are iOS 12. Um, and higher, I guess, but 12.4 will fix it. Um, but for the other three, I, I personally found that it was a little unclear which iOS versions were affected. Anything with iMessage can be affected. So that's, or any device with iMessage, I mean, can be affected. So, you know, I, if your iPhone or iPad have iMessage, they can be affected. But um, since even though one of them says it's iOS 12, I... I wouldn't trust that to be true for necessarily all of them. And if you're on iOS 12.3, still just upgrade or whatever to iOS 12.4 because that's the one that the patch is included in. So the assumption should be that if you aren't on that patch, you are vulnerable. When in doubt, patch. <laughs> you heard it here first because nobody ever talks about patching. No one has ever <laughs> once encouraged <laughs> no anyone to patch. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> patch. Cool. Okay. So what are some, looking from more of a high level point of view, um, getting out of the mosh pit and back to the balcony a bit, what are some strategies security teams are leveraging in order to secure their network, um, their intellectual property or other sensitive data when employees have all these personal devices? Yeah. So a lot of companies are moving to a bring your own device model, which is good, but also comes with its fair share of issues to resolve as well. Um, some companies are choosing to use a mobile device management system that can allow on their employees bring your own device phones. It can allow the corporations to ensure that their employees' phones are on an approved operating system, such as in this case iOS 12.4, um, and that they only have some approved applications. That can also make sure that there's like Wi-Fi listing so that random devices just can't connect to the corporate Wi-Fi or vice versa to your phone. So that's one way. Another way is that some corporations have moved to um, using something that's called work profiles, which kind of enables you to split the user's data between their um, personal material and then kind of a separate container of sorts, their work material, keeping the work material encrypted and relatively safe from interaction with the personal material and from any harm that may come to the phone, <laughs> such as vulnerabilities or malware or stuff. When a user, you know, let's say a user ends up leaving the company or not having that device anymore, they can delete the work profile and the user's personal data will still be on that phone, but it's just the work data that will be gone. So it makes it a little bit easier for both the user and the company to um, keep their device on after they leave a company, but not have to worry about untangling their 
work lives from their personal lives. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a win-win-win, as Michael Scott would say. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess my last question for you is really, what are the implications of these vulnerabilities jumping back to the conversation here around iMessage? Right. So, I mean, as with any similar vulnerability, there is um, the possibility for some serious consequences if the users don't patch their stuff. Since these vulnerabilities can allow an attacker to read data from the device without user interaction, without the user even knowing, they could be used for espionage or crime. Or I was even kind of hypothesizing from like a creepy perspective if some kind of um, technical stalker type individual could use this. Um, from a That's from a personal perspective, of course, um, which is why it's important to care about these kind of vulnerabilities, even if you're not a large corporation. But from a corporate perspective, as we just mentioned, this could be a nightmare from an espionage for an espionage perspective, as most people have their entire lives and their entire business on their phones. You know, emails are accessible on the phone. People just text everything back and forth these days. Files are saved. I mean, I know, like, Google um, Drive might be accessible from the phone, and um, people do so much business on their phones now that it's kind of hard to keep business data off the phones. But the good news is that by updating to iOS 12.4, you'll patch these vulnerabilities and you won't have to worry anymore. And since uh, Natalie Silvanovich was um, responsible in her disclosure, it's unlikely that a lot of attackers will be able to use this before the before people have the opportunity to patch. Um, but I personally think that the more severe implication here is that a lot of people tend to think like, oh, I have an iPhone, I'm secure by default, um, which is not necessarily true in much the same way that it's not true to say I have a Mac, so I can't get malware. Um, I think it's certainly true that the, there's a larger share of malware for PC and for Android, and um, that's because the market share of PCs and Android is higher across the world. So, of course, criminals are going to go after that which would give them the... Um, biggest bang for their buck if you will the highest roi exactly yes um they're out there swatting (laughs) their threat types but um if iphone users neglect to patch their devices um or if they have just other um insecure practices they're leaving themselves vulnerable to these types of attacks and other attacks as well so just because you have an iphone doesn't mean you're magically safe and protected from any and all harm it's still important to have good security practices and to keep your phone up to you know a a good patch level and stuff um, because you're not just like magically protected from harm Yeah, there's been a great tweet floating around that's basically saying if you're prepping your phone, if your phone isn't safe for DEF CON, it's not safe in general, right? That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciated that tweet. And then also just a shout out to you. You're talking about um, the stalker side of life a little bit there, but a scary but an important thing to think about. But just a shout out. Zena Olson is doing a talk at the Diana Initiative Friday at noon, and it's called In the Wake of an APT to your personal data. So it's talking about that specific thing, like what, you know, you might be thinking um, deeply about security threats and APTs in your own corporate environment, your organization, but what are you doing in terms of your personal threat model, which is something I think it's easy. It's like, I leave my work at work. Um, But that might be an interesting talk to stop by as well. So just a little shout out there um, to Zena. 
Yeah, that sounds interesting. And it's an important topic, too, because I think it's like even for us security people, we focus so much on like the corporate espionage side of things that it's like it's easy for us to fall into the trap of like, oh, well, I'm a nobody. The the Chinese government's not coming after me. And that may be true. But is your creepy former coworker who knows a little bit about technology now able to Why are you looking you? at me, Emily? Your creepy coworker, Kelsey. <laughs> Can I get on your phone? Why are you looking so directly at me when you say that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Chad, let's introduce you in here. Let's talk about the hoodie rating. And just a, a quick reminder, hoodie rating, scale of zero to infinity, really. It's however you want to go about it. But 10 hoodies is jump, scream, run, remediate. And then zero is um, keep listening to the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the podcast. Do that anyway, though. Do Yeah. Twiddling your thumbs, you know. So, Chad, what do you what do you think? What would you rate this at? Um, well, it's certainly a critical vulnerability. Um, but one of the things that's you know great about the work that Project Zero does, um, uh, you know, they they're very responsible in their disclosures, of course. And because of Apple's patch model, um, I'd say that uh, you know they push things a lot faster than um, with Android, and there's not as much uh, you know uh, disparate versions out there and things. So I'd probably put this at a seven out of ten hoodies. Um, severity. I like how he like talked it down and then gave it a seven. I know. Well, it's still critical, right? Coaster. It's still it's still an interesting vulnerability. It's um, but just uh, the way that Apple handles things as a company uh, means that it's going to be not as much of an issue. I don't think so. That's fair. This yeah. is maybe a dumb question, but from an Android user, does iPhone now push vulnerabilities or? <laughs> That'd be horrible. Whoa. <laughs> do they now Plot push twist. <laughs> patches and you have no choice? Well, when they push patches, sometimes they do push vulnerabilities. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, no, you do have a choice. And like, But I think my phone auto updates, and that's the default option, I believe. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's you get it, and then it's installed by the time the morning comes, and you hit restart my phone. So okay. it's less of an option than when I was an Android user where I would just keep delaying it you know, mm. until... <laughs> um, until I got a new phone, right? Until yeah. <laughs> you, you got an Apple phone, yeah. Um, yeah. What I appreciate too, don't they? Maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure they tell you how long the update will take too, which I feel like is very helpful. Um, maybe. or the amount of space. Is it anything like the one on my f- computer where it's like this will take one hour and seven minutes, and then I'm like, I don't have time for this, and then it takes 12 and then conversely it'll be like this will take three minutes and three hours later i'm like asleep at my desk that's just your machine (laughs) they're actually tech ops is doing a psychological (laughs) test on you specifically to see how you compare it would be so easy to make me break (laughs) how many updates will it take to break her (laughs) okay emily what do you think yeah um i agree with chad that this is um an interesting vulnerability um it is good to know that iphone pushes patches and that the default is to kind of auto upgrade to the next iOS. Um, So that helps. But I do think from a corporate perspective, I'm not sure that a lot of corporations will have that turned on because they, if if they have their, I mean, if you have bring your own device, they don't maybe have a say in it. But some corporations that maybe still have, what's the opposite of bring your own, uh, like give you a device. (laughs) Um, They they may not um, auto up 
update because they want to test them first to make sure it doesn't break anything. Right. So there's that possibility. Um, my first instinct was to give this a six or a seven. Um, and you gave it a seven. So I'll go with that just so we're on the same page. And I thought you were going to be contrarian and just be like, so I'm going to give it a six. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd do that for Tim Helming. <laughs> I'll agree with Chad. But um, yeah, I'd say a seven. I think that from a corporate perspective, this is at least one that your vulnerability management team probably needs to prioritize um, to review and to push. Um, and from a personal device perspective, uh, if you are one of those people that constantly delays the upgrade, this is one to maybe just say upgrade now. Don't delay. Act now. <laughs> You'll see us on infomercials yeah. for on television. Pretty soon. I think we've nailed the audition there in that moment, Emily. I was thinking more of like 90s rock music. <laughs> was that 90s or early 2000s? They're all the same thing. Let's be real. Okay. Everyone knows like the first five years of the 2000s were still the <laughs> 90s. How old was Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> well, this seems like a natural time to transition <laughs> to our next conversation. So just as iPhones aren't necessarily secure, especially if you haven't patched um, either is the cloud. So our next conversation is around, well, that escalated quickly. And this is an article or discussion that we really couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't fend off. You're probably hearing a lot about this, but, um, to quote Brian Krebs, federal prosecutors this week charged a Seattle woman with stealing data from more than a hundred million credit applications made with Capital One Financial Group. Incredibly, much of this breach played out publicly over several months on social media and other online platforms. So, Chad, let's just jump right into this Capital One discussion. And perhaps a good place to start is with a timeline of events. So can you skim through how this incident unfolded? Sure. So um, Paige Thompson, who uh, goes by Erratic um, on Twitter um, as their handle, uh, exploited a configuration issue in uh, Capital One's AWS setup. From the affidavit that the Justice uh, Department filed, it claims that they assumed an AWS role that looks like it was used for Capital One's WAF, um, and then that was able to give them access to an S3 bucket with sync permissions that had a treasure trove of uh, credit card applications with lots of PII, social security numbers. Um, on Erratic's Twitter, um, which I unfortunately didn't get to archive before Twitter suspended their account, there were some tweets that mentioned more details, like pivoting through an EC2 instance, uh, some like complicated living on off the land type stuff to get to the WAF role. Uh, but unfortunately, those tweets were already taken down, and um, I didn't get a chance to dig further and piece together if there was like a more elaborate uh, attack that involved um, them being an insider threat, because uh, Erratic used to work at Amazon from what it looks like. So from what I can tell, this is one of those uh, many and increasingly common cloud misconfigurations. Uh, security researchers, bad actors, loving to scan for these right now. Open S3 buckets are always a treasure trove of uh, private data and company data and uh, PI. Um, and it's, they're just sitting out there for the curious and malicious. Uh, they're also a really easy fix. Uh, some companies are making their bread and butter off scanning for these now. They're so common. And they go in and remediate them. Um, but, you know. For the curious and malicious. <laughs> what about the maliciously curious? Ooh, doesn't have the same ring, Emily. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? <laughs> the curiously malicious. Now it feels like we're selling Altoids. <laughs> Threat <I've>, Altoids. <laughs> Threat Altoids. Get yours at Black Hat. <laughs> I heard uh, Snuggie needs new people representing them for their infomercials, so you'd be good for that. Actually, this has all been product placement for Snuggie. Yeah. 
millions of dollars we've received. I, I got paid millions for this. <laughs> All right, so Chad, so what's the what's the scale of this incident? What are we talking here? Uh, this is a pretty big one, one of the largest since Equifax, I feel. So, so with 100 million credit card applications, there were 150,000 socials and just under 80,000 personal bank account numbers. Um, right now, though, it's life's a breach. You know, <laughs> leaks are happening left and right. It's uh, it's certainly bad, but in in this you know world of breach fatigue, there's a pretty good chance that your social security number is already floating around somewhere on someone's server in Kiev. You know, it's it's if it's not Capital One, it's Target, it's another company, and we've all just gotten so used to this that uh, I think everyone just assumes that their their data is out there somewhere. So it's a, it's on a big scale, of course, but. Um, it's happening all the time with other companies. Uh, with Erratic alone, it's looking like Ford uh, Motor Company, Ohio Department of Transportation, and Vodafone were all also on the list of stolen data. They haven't released any statements yet because they're still investigating. But um, that and that's just one person, you know, uh, picking around yeah. in AWS. So is the silver lining that we've just cut out the middleman between our PII and? <laughs> yeah, I just leave it all on my GitHub page. Oh, so you can go there for my social and bank accounts. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so from what I understand, the allegedly guilty party didn't use fantastic OPSEC. So how did Capital One initially discover this incident, if it was in fact them that discovered it? And what, what led them to this guilty, allegedly party? Yeah, so there really wasn't any, um, I guess, OPSEC at all. Uh, all this was announced to Capital One by someone who saw a directory listing of their uh, data on a public GitHub gist that Erratic had posted. Um, unlike most other breaches, this was posted to a public Slack workspace on Erratic's Twitter, on GitHub, and they, they didn't really bother to cover their tracks at all. So because of all the public posts, it took less than a month for a, um, a raid to happen that was very Zero Cool-esque, like right out of Hackers. Uh, you can watch the video online. There's SWAT, assault rifles, the whole thing. It, it was uh, kind of surreal. Um, but uh, usually we wait years to see a legal case like this come together. So it's it's odd and unclear what Erratic's motivations were. Uh, if this was research or purely malicious, if they just wanted to see the world burn, uh, it's odd because there's no evidence that they intended to sell it on the black market, which normally if people are stealing this information, that's what they're looking for is some kind of profit, you know. But I would name this episode similar to the early 2000s soap opera, as the world burns. Oh, nice. <laughs> thank you. You inspired me with your earlier comment about decades. You're welcome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so have there been any statements from Capital One or even Amazon? Yeah, so Capital One's going to reach out to everyone um, and send them a mailer. Uh, so you'll get something in the mail if you were a part of the breach. I think the deadline for that's August 5th, um, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and then Amazon, of course, came out immediately to say that it was a configuration issue. There's no problem with Amazon security, um, which, you know, that's what they have to do to remind everyone that, uh, you know, it's, it's not a vulnerability in their system. It's, uh, you know, just purely misconfiguration by the company. And what would you say the lesson learned here is? What can organizations take from this incident? I know that Capital One actually... From what I've read on the, you know, the InfoSec space on Twitter, they have a fantastic team and this could happen to anyone. So what can organizations take from this um, and hopefully not have the same thing happen to them? Yeah, so uh, it's it's all about these, you know, misconfigured um, buckets and permissions and uh, roles that can be assumed in AWS. So it's 
there's a lot of compliance that um, and auditing that needs to happen for these companies. And if you're if you're in a company that uses the cloud, you should be going through all of your configurations and have the least amount of um, capability possible for each thing that you're um, putting out there. Uh, AWS also has some compliance as code tools that AWS Labs has put out, so you can audit things and and make your um, make your compliance a part of your like CI/CD pipeline or something, you know, where it's every time that that runs and, and your uh, a deployment's happening, that it's also checking all of the roles and permissions and making sure you don't have a open security group and all that. So, cool. That's extremely helpful and probably leads well into the hoodie rating. And I'll start with you, Emily. What would you rate this this breach at? You know, I've been going back and forth on this because it's certainly um, an unfortunate event, but at the same time, it's a pretty good lesson for us as we as a society move more into the cloud. I think um, this time in five years or less, it's going to be everyone, you know, everything is just, that's where it is. And so this is certainly, I don't want to fall victim to the breach fatigue that Chad was talking about and give this a lower rating just, or excuse me, rating, just because I'm so used to hearing about these kinds of things. Um, so, I mean, it is a pretty big breach. Um, so I think I'm going to give this one about five hoodies. And I say that because I don't necessarily think you need to jump up and do anything because it's like, you just kind of have to wait for now and see if you were affected. Um, and then even if you were like, you can't, it's, it's already done, you know? So, um, if you are using cloud services, maybe jump then and make sure everything's configured. So that's what I was going to say. I don't want to give it less than a five because if you, um, this is a good opportunity for you to review your um, AWS like configurations and make sure that you don't have some of the same mistakes that Capital One or other companies might have made. And so this can be used as a good opportunity um, for companies um to review their configurations and to come up with some best practices to avoid having a similar fate. Um, so do care, but don't necessarily like jump up and panic. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I do want to mention from a hoodie scale is I think that Capital One had, they were quick to release a response, but I, I think that um, one thing that other companies can learn from the response is to maybe be just a little more upfront or clear with um, the affected data. Did anyone else see how in the response it was like, no social security numbers were affected other than 150,000 social security. It literally said that like verbatim. And so I think um, from a from a like response perspective after this happens, um, there's always going to be some you know, PR response. And I don't think any company has ever done it perfectly because it's a hard thing to respond to. But again, just as you can use this as an, a, as a learning experience for like getting your configurations set up the right way, you can also see what people were negatively reacting to in the like PR response. And I think that was something it's just don't try and sugarcoat it. Don't say nothing was affected except for everything that was affected. <laughs> just come out and say like, hey, here's what happened. You know, it's just one of those things that people yeah. don't want to be... Uh, confused about whether or not their data was affected so yeah chad what about you well um i i would say i'm heavily succumbing to breach fatigue um <laughs> it's it's uh i just am less and less surprised every time and and uh you know it, it keeps being easier and easier things to remediate but there's just so many moving parts you know when you're a big company and 
Um, that there's always bound to be some S3 bucket that's misconfigured that someone's been able to leverage to get access to an EC2 instance to pivot to something else. You know, it's it's uh, it it's it's bad. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say uh, you know, I'd, I'd give this maybe a, a four out of ten hoodies. Um, I'd combine those four together and make them a snuggie, and then Ooh. cuddle up and just try and forget about the whole thing. You know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's bad, but it's just going to keep happening. You have to secure your data as best you can and do the best you can. Definitely. There's a whole nother conversation we could have about whose responsibility that is, but I don't want to dig into that because we're going to talk about summer camp. So the next title, the next discussion is titled "Grasshoppers and Security Personnel Descend Upon Las Vegas." Well done, Emily. Let's use this time to give some folks some tips and tricks. This is a hard, long week, and a lot of preparation goes into this. Let's start with you, Chad. Um, according to Emily, you have attended summer camp since before you were conceived. Hmm. <laughs> what a weird thing for her to know. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first show and what are some of your strategies for getting the most out of the week um yeah so my my first defcon uh was defcon 8 and it was in 2000 just after y2k um i was uh let's see 13 and my dad dropped me off in the minivan at the alexis park hotel uh it was as embarrassing as it sounds <laughs> Um, being pulled up and dropped off there. But um, I had a great time, learned a lot, um, got on the wall of sheep, um, kind of set the stage for a lifetime of uh, insecurity shenanigans, um, which it, it was a it was a good thing and kind of introduced me to this whole scene of other people that I'd only ever known on um, IRC before. I was very lucky to um, stumble onto IRC early on. Uh, had a computer when I was 10, so, you know, got lucky. I just imagine um, Chad getting out of the van with like a little metal lunchbox, like "Bye, Dad!" and like running into Defcon. <laughs> I had no, I had a Targus backpack. That's what it was. Ooh. The uh, the classic cool Targus backpack with the big uh, Sager uh, uh, laptop. You know, very nice. Yeah, nice. It, was, it was cool. It ran Linux. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I'd say the main thing about the cons. I mean, they're certainly different than they used to be, especially Defcon and. Um, but the main thing is to be an active participant. Uh, I've spent so many conferences wandering between lines for talks, and it's such a waste of time. Uh, especially now, today, most all the tools and techniques that you'll see have already been released online months before the conference circuit. So you really aren't going to get anything new out of the conference without talking to other people. Like uh, aside from you know going to Black Hat Arsenal uh, uh, presentations or Sky Talks or something like that. Um, or the B-Sides Underground Talks, you know, things that you won't be able to see later um, if they're essential for the security community. But um, you, you have the entirety of your year to be antisocial behind your keyboard, so you might as well uh, spend some time engaging with other people. It's going to be, you know, awkward conversations because they're all as socially awkward as you are. But, um, you know, that's the best <laughs> bang for the buck is, is just go and, and talk and get a chance to meet with some people and don't spend too many times in lines waiting for things that you'll be able to watch later. Um, now moving to you, Emily, I know you have your sessions planned out. You've been sweating over it. Mm -hmm. What are a few that you are specifically looking forward to? Yeah, I definitely have been planning it. This is um, my first time. Unlike Chad, I am not a veteran to the summer camp scene. This is going to be my first time 
to go. So I have been extremely anxious and um, I'm a planner. So I have been pouring over the schedule and trying to plan this out the best I can. But luckily I have people like Chad who sit right next to me and have given me good advice about what to avoid and what to go see. So so I am looking forward to a few sessions. Um, at B-Sides, for example, I'm really looking forward to some of the talks during the underground um, talk track. Um, in particular, there's one that looks pretty cool um, from Anne On um, about China's new Russia, talking about the transition of Chinese um, like crime rings from lo- small local networks to larger like organized crime syndicates, which sounds right up my personal alley, and I'm very excited to go here, as well as some other talks. And then also there um, is a pretty cool CTF from Trace Labs about finding missing persons, which I am not affiliated with Trace Labs at all, but it just looks really legit, um, and I'm already signed up for that and really looking forward to it because I um, am very interested in that kind of stuff, and like in my spare time, I like look at missing persons cases and try and solve them like a dweeb so the one that i'm gonna add in here is from shrad de grippo i apologize if i'm not pronouncing your name correctly um is at black hat um they're from proof point and it's about um basically understanding the enemy right the human target and threat actor psychology so that looks really really cool cool. yeah so that would be a black hat so i'd recommend checking that out so with that let's lead into the final words of wisdom from both Emily and Chad, Chamily, if you will. Your podcast duo name, Chamily. 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 Like a Chamileon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> I love that so much. All right. <laughs> I'm disappointed he looks. <laughs> I'm so proud. All right. So, Chad, let's start with you. What are your final tips you'd like to share? Um, you know, I'd say the uh, DEFCON's rule of three, two, one always uh, applies. You got to get three hours of sleep, two hot meals, and one shower a day. Um, it's always big. Uh, there's also my my big tip. You know, I grew up in Las Vegas, so that's um, uh, I love going back home. But one of the things I love there is Pepe's Tacos. It's 24-hour tacos. It's worth expensing the 4 a.m. Uber ride um, and explaining it to your finance department later. They're that good. Um, after any of the parties late at night, I inevitably like wrestle a bunch of people into a car and we end up at Pepe's Tacos. Um, it's just, it's, it's great. So can't be beat. There you go. Can't be missed. Something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Emily, how about you? Well, as I mentioned, I haven't ever been before, so I'm not sure what kind of specific words of wisdom I have other than my own personal words of wisdom I'm trying to give myself, which is not to overexert myself. I mentioned that I was getting extremely anxious just looking over the various schedules between the three different conferences and how much there is to do and like, oh my God, I have to run back and forth between hotels that seem like they're years apart and um, there's 48 parties every single night that I could (laughs) possibly sign up for and so I'm trying to not overexert myself and I think that's probably something everyone could stand to hear is um, it's really important to get out and network and to see some of these talks but it's also very important not to push yourself beyond your personal comfort level and then get yourself exhausted by Wednesday or something and not be able to enjoy the rest of the week so it's a marathon exactly pace yourself um, pepe yourself if you pepe yourself right up with some tacos and go into your room and take a nap or like bring a face mask to kind of like get away from the people if you're like me and you just need time away from people like make sure to allot some time for that as well 
Be kind, unwind. You know what I'm saying? It's very good. <laughs> well, just as a heads up, too, because that wraps up our podcast for the week, um, we'll be taking a one-week break because we're going to have a special podcast for you. We're um, wrangling some info security pros, as you might have heard as I brought it up for like the last four weeks, um, <laughs> at summer camp. So, um, again, feel free to reach out. Um, hit us up at uh, Domain Tools on Twitter or Dreadphones for Emily. For Chad, what's your Twitter alias? Piffy. You could say that into the mic, Chad. Piffy. <laughs> <laughs> Piffy. <laughs> and then Puns and Roses with an extra S if you would like to talk. And so we'll be delivering basically our takeaways from – or not our takeaways, but we're going to be a medium basically to – give a platform to other folks that are at summer camp. So um, looking forward to sending that to you next week, but we'll be a little bit off our schedule for that. So I want to give you a heads up and otherwise look forward to seeing you at summer camp and just yeah. everyone stay safe and have a good time. We'll see you in a few weeks. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at domain tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>